0: Hello and welcome to the Light From Light podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daniel
1: and your name is... Brother Thomas Therese, a Dominican friar. <laughs> <laughs> a variation on, on Comet Opie. <laughs> uh, How are you doing? The other
0: variation is son of the English province. Oh yes, I am still
1: a <laughs> son of the English
0: province, thanks for still, still all these things. Oh, well, welcome to our, our listeners. We are just entering into some of the most important days. For us as christians would you would you say that these days of of easter
1: or the these days leading up to Easter are the most important days for us uh, as christians yes i would i mean i mean it's a bit of a chicken in the egg isn't it you know i mean without the incarnation then you don't have the redemption but mm. what's the purpose of the incarnation if you don't have the redemption you so know, there so-, so
0: incarnation is referring to christmas redemption referring to these three days that we put together for easter um, so it's often referred to as the tritium, which you, you hear so really it's like it's one long event that's how we, we see it so holy thursday good friday and then easter the easter celebration the resurrection is this is that third day so in the church we celebrate it as this this long event don't we but it's so do you know what the tritium means brother
1: thomas Tritium? Uh, I think I do, but now I'm questioning it. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not a trick. Three days, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not a trick yeah, three question.
0: three days. It's not a trick question. Three days. So often you'll hear these three days referred to as the Tridium, but it just means three days in, in Latin. Um, But yeah, I, I think th- these are the most important days, for, for the high point for us as Christians, aren't they? What On our Christian journey.
1: And you're quite right, sort of liturgically, they're all treated as like one one day, one time. I mean, when yeah. we intone, when we pray the Psalms and things like that, we treat it like it's all all, all one day or one time. They don't really have a formal end to it. Yeah, of the I really events like that. and things. I really yeah, like that. So, and that's because it's all one, you know, it's all one event.
0: Yeah, so if you go to Mass on a Thursday evening to the, the celebration of the Last Supper, you know, it has different names, but if you go to that, mass on a thursday evening then you notice there is no end and then if you mm. go on good friday to the i don't know what you would call it as the service on a good friday there's no, no beginning there's no end yeah. the liturgy there's, of the lord's passion yeah i mean there's also there's no mass on good friday as such there isn't the um there is what do you call it there isn't the consecration there, yeah sometimes there is the distribution of communion but it's it's uh it's not a celebration of the mass it the communion the consecration doesn't happen at that particular mass but anyway the the main point is there isn't a finishing point on thursday there isn't a beginning or finish at the at the, at the good friday it's very mm. solemn isn't it i i think it it's it's very marked um with with solemnity in that sense i, I was very struck by that when i when i realized that Sometimes, a very you know, you go on a good like, Friday and you think, has the priest missed something? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: where's where's the start? <laughs> where's there's, the end? there's a very different flavour or feel or atmosphere on the three days that that's really, really good. You know, you go on on Holy Thursday and you have the washing of the feet, what's called the mandatum, the commandment, love one another as I have loved you, you know, I come amongst you as one who serves, um, who is greatest among you, Um and the washing of the feet and the liturgy of the Eucharist, and then you have this this period of watching, whereby the Blessed Sacrament uh, is um, reserved there. Very often, uh, I know certainly in uh, in England and in America, and also in in places in Europe. And I, I presume it's a universal practice, but I the honest answer is I don't know. Um, they'll have this like altar of repose, which they sort of transform into a bit of a like a garden of Gethsemane, and so the idea is then that you're waiting with the Lord. Um, you wait there, you pray before the Blessed Sacrament, and you'll see people come and go throughout the night, you know. And then when it gets to a certain time, uh, for some churches they'll choose midnight, other churches will, will do it earlier. Um, people will basically it will, they'll be told to go home, you know, uh, and the church will be locked until until the next day. And it's a little bit like when Christ is arrested in the garden and the disciples scatter, the disciples flee. Um, So there's something about that moment, which sort of is a bit of a reenactment with Gethsemane, you know, slightly different because the disciples, you know, Jesus says to the disciples, could you not wait with me one hour? Could you, you know, not stay awake, wait from your slumber? The time is now come at hand and things. Um, I also know some churches who will read that part of the gospel when they're basically kicking people out. You know, wake from your slumber. Uh, you know, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of, of, of sinners. And um, then the people will leave the church. Uh, the Blessed Sacrament will be will be taken away. And then the following day, you have the Liturgy of the Lord's Passion. Sometimes in the morning, you'll have the Stations of the Cross. And then you'll have the Liturgy of the Lord's Passion, which involves... Uh, Lots of prayers, um, prayers for people who believe in God, prayers for the Catholics, prayers for uh, the uh, Pope, prayers for people in government, uh, all sorts of prayers for people who don't believe in God, all sorts of prayers. And then you'll have the veneration of the word of the cross. Um, You will also have the distribution of Holy Communion. But you're quite right. There's no consecration. uh, There's no Eucharistic prayer said. You have the Our Father uh, you have uh, the distribution and the, the 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 reception of Holy Communion, um, and then people people will leave. You know, there's a there isn't a solemn exit on Thursday or on Friday. There's no solemn exit of a procession. People wander off because it's all one action that we're that we're reenacting here. And
0: of course, I, I, they don't do obviously don't do this at every church, but in the church I. The church i work for they have on the saturday evening they have the vigil the easter celebration and and it starts with a fire outside and that obviously it's is very poignant the fire is very poignant because it symbolizes uh, christ as the light of the world but also i think it reminds us of what peter uh, the moment when peter denied christ it, it reminds us of what happened there when Christ was on trial, and Peter was asked three times whether he knew Jesus. Uh, he was, uh, he, and three times he denied Jesus. So that's but, very
1: interesting. I'd never made that. I'd never made that parallel before. But I mean, you're I think quite right. I think so. I we'll think we'll a sort start of outside. Yeah, we'll, we'll start outside with the fire, won't we? And then you, you, you. We take the candle into, into the church, the Paschal candle, the Easter flame, which represents the light of the resurrection, the light of Christ. And the deacon or the priest will sing lumen christi and everyone will reply deo gratias or light of christ and the people reply thanks be to god and each time um it it could get louder or you know the tone could go up lumen christi deo gratias and then the final one really loud really high and everybody you know shouts and by this stage the people have all entered the church the church which is in darkness and it's just illumined by those uh flames which represent uh the faith and the charity and the divine life uh in the church amongst the people of god that light of christ which has permeated the world but it's very interesting that you have that three times
0: yeah i think it i think it reflects i think it mirrors that just for our listeners so when jesus is on trial peter is in the courtyard where jesus is on trial and three times he has asked while he's by this fire if he knows Christ and three times he denies Christ.
1: I do not know the man, he says, doesn't he?
0: But if you remember late later on when Jesus has resurrected, he comes and he seeks out Peter and he asks Peter three times if he loves him. So we have this sort of symbolism of of Peter being redeemed, again brought back into relationship with Christ. And I think that there is a sort of mirroring of that for us at the Easter vigil, in terms of the three times uh, you you have this lumen christi.
1: this affirmation.
0: Yeah, and it, that yeah. that is our sort of affirmation. And actually, it brings up a really good point. I think Easter shows something that's very important for us as Catholics is that the the faith is very much lived. It's something that's very physical. We we say we say things like we enter into the, these mysteries. Um, there's there's often you know the prayer of the church at mass uh, it, it speaks about entering into the mysteries, the Paschal mysteries of what happens in these days and it's not it's not just something that we commemorate as a memory we actually enter into it as Catholics were invited into it so we this is why we have the the watching at the altar you know praying before Christ and it and as you said there sometimes the altar is dressed like a garden and that is reminiscent yeah yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or actually it allows us the opportunity to enter into the same thing which Peter and John and and james but entering into what they entered into that watching that opportunity to wait with christ while he's uh, while he is in the garden of gethsemane but i, I think that is a really important point and and, and it's also uh, important for us now we're 2000 years removed from when christ walked this earth but we're not removed from these realities from from these Mysteries and we can enter into them through these through these three days. So I think it's really important to to mark them in a very special way. It, it reminds me actually of something uh, I I read uh, recently. Um, there was it, this was in Poland. There was a man who who uh, ran a bread and breakfast, and he had some visitors who um they 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 were non-believers. So they they didn't believe and they didn't think Good Friday was you know anything anything special so they weren't marking it themselves but the the this polish man who uh, ran the bnb he marked it in a in a very special way so the bnb obviously bread and breakfast in the morning they would have a uh, they would have breakfast but on this on this good friday there there was no meat so on good friday obviously as catholics we we don't eat meat so it's marking that very special uh, moment um a very special day but that and they were asking why you know why why are you not having meat? Why Why are you somber? Um, and he said, well, my friend has just died. He's been falsely... No, sorry, my friend has been falsely imprisoned. And um, we, we don't know what's going to happen. He, he could die. And then later in the day, of course, he, he died. So he told them that. And that's all he said. He didn't say anything else. And then on the the Sunday, on Easter Sunday, uh, he was jubilant. And they were wondering, you know, why is he so jubilant? And he put on this massive banquet and and they they were asking questions you know why, why are you so jubilant why are you so happy oh because the i don't know how it's happened but my good friend is alive he is he's now he has this new life about him he's he's no longer dead and of course what he's Gosh. referring to is is christ so he shared this with them and he shared really the good news with them and these these people who didn't believe who did, you know maybe didn't make this connection of, of this reality that this thing actually happened and they became Christians as a result of that. But I think it's it it shows something really important for us as Christians. It's a, it's a crazy thing that's happened that Christ has died and has risen. But it's not something that's like a fairy tale. Like we really believe that this actually happened and the gospels are the eyewitness accounts of these things and we have all these little intricate details of what happened
1: and it's not also i mean one of the things that you you really sort of bring to my mind there is how you've sort of shown i think in what you've said that it that christianity is not simply uh, as benedict 16th says it's not merely a philosophy or an intellectual pursuit that christianity is something much more than just this intellectual endeavor liturgical life in the church shows the fact that we physically reenact these things you know we have such an an idea of sacred space uh, liturgical space liturgical time the fact that these three days are sort of uh, turn into basically one event I mean of course we go off and we do other things in between but uh, in terms of sacred time this is this is all one event all one time um, and in a similar way, in terms of space, we we walk around, we process around the church, we stand and we kneel. And it shows that actually this is something which um, is not simply uh, an intellectual endeavor. Uh, the, the faith is not just something, as we said in our last episode, it's not just a list of propositions that you believe. It's it's there's also a physical, active element to this. And. Um, and through, as 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 the Jewish people would believe, through sacred remembrance, believe that those events become present to us in a, in a redemptive way. By participating in these mysteries, we are redeemed. You know, so that, that you've really sort of brought out there for me, anyway, that uh, yeah, that our faith is not simply a, an intellectual set of propositions that we that we assent to, but it's it's a it's a mystery in which we enter into, and all of our being and all of our senses enter into that reenactment of the mystery.
0: So today, in in the three days that we're talking about, is Holy Thursday. And Brother Thomas, what, what actually happens on the first Holy Thursday?
1: Well, a few things happen. The thing that most people will probably remember is the Last Supper. The the Eastern Orthodox have actually got quite a nice phrase for this. They call it the mystical supper. But yeah, so basically the Last Supper, you have uh, the prediction of Judas betraying Jesus. Uh, You have the institution of the Eucharist. Um, You'll have the mandatum, which is the washing of the feet and the repeated commandment to love one another as Jesus has has loved us. Um, you know also jesus saying i call you no i no longer call you servants i call you friends the prediction of peter's denial and this sort of high priestly prayer whereby jesus prays for unity you know may there be one father as i am in you and you are in me and um, so you have this high priestly prayer praying for unity Uh, you also have actually something which is Often overlooked that I've spoken about before on the podcast in Luke's gospel, which comes from uh, Luke uh, 22. Luke 22. Let's see if I can if I can find the exact passage just before you, you mention it.
0: So Maundy Thursday is something we we sometimes hear this this Thursday referred to Holy Thursday and Monday Thursday. So I, I'm just thinking I think we've said it before, but Monday. Must come from mandatum, which means command. So, in in I guess in a way, it's a it comes from that. So it's it's the Thursday in which uh, Jesus gives the greatest command: come, love one another as I have loved you. So that's what it's referring to, I imagine.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So one of the one of the things that's overlooked in terms of the Last Supper is Luke twenty two twenty four, two. 30. <laughs> and this is the uh, when the disciples start arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus says to them, you know, whoever shall be greatest among you will be like the younger one is one who serves for, you know, what what am I doing amongst you? Who is the greatest amongst you? Basically is sort of what Jesus say. Well, I'm the greatest amongst you and I come as one who serves. And then Jesus says something very interesting. You are those who, having remained with me in my trials, I appoint you a kingdom like the Father has appointed to me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones of the twelve tribes, judge, uh, Sorry, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Sorry, I've got the Greek in front of me, so I'm sort of translating on the spot. Um, Were you translating that? Wow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I apologize. My translation is a little bit rusty, but that's basically what it says. So he's basically saying, you know, you you've remained with me in my trials and now I appoint you. Uh, I appoint to you a kingdom as the father appointed to me a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and may sit on a thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he here at the Last Supper, he gives a kingdom To the twelve and says that they will judge the twelve tribes of Israel he's reconstituting the uh, Davidic court of the Old Testament he's giving them authority he's giving them authority here at the Last Supper and and also telling them to to serve and straight afterwards he turns to Peter and he says Simon Simon behold Satan has demanded to have all of you that's what it actually says in the greek he has demanded to have all of you plural to sift you like wheat but i have begged for you singular i have begged for you simon that you may not fail uh, in your faith and you when you have turned back strengthen your brothers then Peter says, "Lord, I'm going to go to prison with you, and I'm going to die with you." And Jesus says, "I tell you, Peter, the cock will crow three times, and you will deny not ever, before the cock has uh, crowed three times, you'll deny uh, ever knowing me." But notice a couple of things here that, that are quite interesting. Jesus says, "Well, firstly, he singles out Simon that he's begged. He's this is the word in Greek, begged for you." However, I have begged for you, and that's singular to Simon, I have begged for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail you. And then he says, when you have turned back, strengthen the brethren, this is a prediction of Peter denying Christ. So already when he says, I've prayed that your faith might not fail, that you may be able that you may turn back and strengthen your brothers. So this particular special care for Simon in this moment, and then when Peter says, you know, I'll go to prison with you, I'm going to die with you. And, Peter, and then Jesus says, you will deny ever having known me before the cock has crowed three, three times. But Jesus already shows that he knows this when he says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So, you know, I, I watched a documentary a few years ago with, well, what's his name? David Suchet, who plays Poirot, and he says the Lord, I don't think, could have singled out this this particularly special office um, of the papacy, you know, as, as Catholics claim. That's essentially what he was saying, because he was so weak. I see scripture passages like this, and I say, no, you know, how often does God use the weak to shame the strong or the proud? You know, He uses humble instruments. To manifest his power, to manifest his love and his mercy. And Christ knows that Simon is going to betray him. And still he says, when you turn back, so when you come back, strengthen your brothers. I have begged for you, Simon, so that you strengthen your brothers. Perhaps so then that those brothers might turn back. Because, of course, what happens with the exception uh, of John, they flee. They flee.
0: Well, doesn't even even John? John,
1: yeah. Initially. I mean, he's there for the crucifixion, isn't he? Um Yeah, yeah.
0: And he's there in in the courtyard for the trial. Yeah. Well, it, it just reminds me of something. So, in the Davidic kingdom in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. you you have the the prime minister, don't you? You yeah. maybe. I'm sorry, maybe not in the Davidic kingdom, but certainly we see it in Isaiah. There is the, the like Isaiah there is twenty two. You're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So you you have. A number of ministers, but there is this prime minister who is basically a prime minister who is first. I mean, it just means first among the ministers, uh, but is second in command to the mm-hmm. king. So when the king is away, the prime minister is in, is in control. And you, you, well, we could have an episode on this, but you have a mirroring of what happens in Isaiah twenty-two mm. with Jesus given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, sorry, the keys to the kingdom of God in Matthew 16. I mean, without getting into, into too much detail.
1: If you want to know more about this, if you search on YouTube for a guy called Swan Sona, S-U-A-N-S-O-N-N-A, he, this is his bag. He does a lot of typological contrasting between St. Peter and the uh, the, I think it's the Davidic kingdom and Isaiah 22 anyway. Uh, so looking for Old Testament foreshadowings of of Peter. Uh, and there are quite a few videos out there on YouTube. He's really, really good on this. You can find him on Reason and Theology, which is a, a show on YouTube. I think he's also been on Pites with Aquinas, been on quite a few things. But yeah, so if you're more if you're interested in this, this is his bag. Go and go and check him out. It's really good.
0: Sorry, just to translate that. This is our. This is his bag. Means this is his speciality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never that's, heard that. Before. This is, this his, is his bag. I've never heard that before, though. About in the Greek, that not, Jesus is first of all refer, referring to them in the plural, and then, in yeah. and then in the singular to Peter.
1: That's that's very interesting. He says all of you. So Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded. <laughs> Satan demanded to have all of you, plural to sift you like wheat i begged for you is what he says i begged for you singular that's singular it's it's a uh, genitive second person singular i begged for you singular that your faith may not fail in the greek it says that the faith of you may not fail uh, or not may fail the faith of you is what it actually says but yeah <laughs> Yeah, Jesus prays specifically when, in fact, actually, the word that's used there is, is like begging. It's like, I begged for you that your faith, singular, may not fail and that you, singular, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So the, there is a sense in which he's given a very specific function and a very uh, specific task which is for the service and the benefits of the others so you know you've just had this conversation about who is the greatest among you jesus says one who serves and then he tells simon serve your brothers by strengthening them when you have turned back you know i'm not saying that that's an argument saying that that simon is is the greatest among them Uh, i'm not going i'm not going that far but i that that this is the immediate context for the verse i think you know it's yeah i think there's something in that yeah um have you got that from someone else is that from the No, that's me i mean the, the, well, i mean i'm sure other people have said it um, mm. um Interesting. you know i'm not i'm not very original certainly the certainly things like I didn't know the, the, was that good? the singular it's greek <laughs> sorry i meant i'm sorry i meant greek i didn't know i didn't realize your greek was so good <laughs> uh, I, I mean the fact that these things come side by side and and you know, that he's basically being told to serve his brothers by strengthening them and that this comes immediately and uh, immediately after the dialogue about who is the greatest and the greatest is one who serves. And of course, one of the titles of, uh, of the, the popes uh, is Servant of the Servants of God. You know, that's not the pope saying I'm so great because I'm your servant, by the way. Uh, but it's true to say that the greatest among us. Uh, Christ is one who serves and then uh, by extension the, the truly great disciples are the disciples who serve and live uh, a life which is not orientated towards themselves oriented towards themselves but is orientated to the service of others and Simon Peter is given this particular role when he is turned back uh, to strengthen the brothers and this is I think why Christ prays specifically for him satan is demanded to have all of them to sift them to divide them satan is the great divider to divide them like wheat but but jesus prays for simon specifically so that through him the others may be strengthened and turned back it's a particular grace that simon is given for the service of his brothers and this this is it, this is part of simon's what will be simon's greatness even though he will deny the lord and Christ gives him this, gives him this, even knowing that in the future, Simon will turn turn away from him. Right. So all those people who sort of look at the papacy and look at popes and sort of say, oh, well, you know, they've done all sort of terrible things. Jesus couldn't possibly have, have given them the papacy. It's nonsense. Look at look at what's happening here with Simon. Jesus knows that he's going that he's going to betray him in the future. But he also knows that Simon will turn back. And he gives him a special, a special uh, mission to fulfil, and the grace to fulfil that He begs for Jesus
0: as he Wonderful, begs for Peter, presumably to his father. He mm. begs.
1: Edelathane is is what it is. Edelathane, mm. which I would I would translate as sort of yeah, it's like begging really. Beg- what begged? Yeah, it's a. Um, yeah. So on
0: just going back to Holy Thursday, then so some of the other things that happen are, are the washing of feet, which is quite interesting. So mm-hmm. Jesus washes the feet of the
1: apostles. Again, service, you know, you only really find that in John's gospel, isn't it? You know, well,
0: I was going to say there's this beautiful dialogue that happens between Jesus and mm-hmm. Peter and Jesus comes to wash the feet of Peter. And Peter says, no, he refuses this. Uh, he, he refuses this from Jesus. And then Jesus says, you must let me wash your your feet or you can have nothing to do Mm. with me, which presumably means if you don't let me serve you, then you can have nothing to do with me. And then Peter, as as he normally does, says, "Okay, wash all of me. But it's it's interesting. So you will see this. You will see this at the at the mass. You will see twelve people selected, and the priest will will humble himself to wash the feet of those twelve. But also, I think it's very interesting because when you when you hear people in the parish, uh, if someone is asked to to be a volunteer for this. Uh, very often their reaction is, "Oh no, no, I couldn't, not possibly, not possibly me," and and that's very interesting. You should
1: tell them Jesus's words. <laughs> Unless you let me wash your feet, <laughs> you can have no part of me.
0: Well, the reason the reason why I say this is because I, I said I said that a few years ago. Someone asked the uh, priest asked me if I would. Be, be one of those volunteers and I said oh no I couldn't possibly so and good he, and that was his reaction what a great he said, well
1: you know this is the because it is something which is actually quite intimate to watch somebody's feet you know and people will automatically I mean they might shy away for two reasons either I'm not worthy or no I you know it's a bit sort of gross or a bit sort of humiliating or I'm gonna be embarrassed but actually humility is what God finds pleasing, you know. God God likes humility. Um, you know, look at look at how God chooses to operate. Oh God is humble. He chooses to take to himself a human nature. He he takes to himself flesh, you know? But it also it's it's
0: humility on both sides, isn't it? It's humility on behalf of Christ. But it's also humility on, on behalf of the apostles or on behalf of anyone who it, who has to have their feet washed? well
1: that's exactly it that's exactly the point you know the the it is humbling for, for the priest and it is also humbling for the person who is having their feet washed but this is a good it's a really good thing to grow in humility isn't it and this is one of the ways that that i think we can a small way in which we can try and do that nobody likes well actually maybe something i suppose foot massages are a thing still aren't they <laughs> so i was about to say nobody likes having their feet touched <laughs> but i suppose you know foot massages are still, still a thing um but yeah you know people do find it a bit embarrassing to sit in you know to stand up in front of a uh, a church full of people and have their feet washed by by the priest it is embarrassing uh or some people might find it a bit sort of humiliating but i'm sure the apostles did
0: i'm sure the apostles found it. i mean it was certainly peter
1: they did yeah and that's the point is actually it's good to grow in humility and that means sometimes that we have to do things that we find embarrassing now one of the other things i just wanted to mention that you
0: one of the other things that happens a holy uh, on holy thursday uh, on the actual first holy thursday is that jesus is taken away you know he leaves the upper room where they've gathered for the last supper and he goes into the garden he prays Mm. there and but he he is taken away and, he, he, and he's in prison, and you'll you'll see this marked in the church um, on on Thursday. So we've mentioned the the waiting with Jesus at the uh, at the altar of repose, the altar of rest. But what you also notice is that the 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 church is stripped back to, to basically stripped back in terms of bareness so the altar doesn't have any cloths on it it's it's just the stone just Mm. a cold stone and this is 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 very much symbolic of christ is not here we've we've lost christ in in a sense christ has gone into the garden um and that is supposed to uh, help us to see or or help us to live what the apostles were living what mary was living is that a sort of desolation yeah christ is not christ is not here you know where, where where is he in these moments so it's it's supposed to remind us of of that and help us to journey into into that with the apostles with those who were close to christ in these moments mm. and you, you also notice certain things devotionals in the church are are covered as well you know you don't you don't have candles for you shouldn't have candles in the church at this time or you have statues covered up and they're supposed to remind us of the starkness of of those days because obviously all those devotionals are to bring us closer to to christ but in these days uh, the apostles didn't have christ
1: oh you mean like the candle stands where in front of the statues of the saints and things i see i yeah. thought you meant candles on the altar yeah, sorry, I, remember- yes, I was sort so of thinking to myself yeah, i'm yeah. sure we have candles on the altar
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah, certainly you have them. You have them on the altar, but even then, you know, after Holy Thursday is finished, the the candles are gone. You know, the candles are blown out. They're, they're removed from That's the true, altar. That's true. Yeah, so, I mean, we
1: bring them back out. We bring them back out for Good Friday.
0: Yeah, you bring them out. It just reemphasizes that point that we I mean, we're invited to enter into this to ourselves. Mm. You know, we even even at home. You know, we can live. We can live these days at home, in in a certain sense. So, you know, we can fast. And then you could, you know, you could do things like covering devotionals at home, entering into, entering into the these three days. Is there anything else you wanted to, to add before we wrap up this episode? Well,
1: the big, the big elephant in the room that we haven't really spoken about is actually the institution of the Eucharist. I, well, I mean, I know. Yeah, we haven't really spoken about the high priestly prayer. We haven't really spoken about the um, the institution of the Eucharist or, or Judas but the institution of the Eucharist uh, is well. It is that. It's just. The, it's the institution of the Eucharist. You know, when Jesus says, uh, "This is my body, given." You know, "This is my blood. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body. This is my my blood. Do this in remembrance of me." Um, that's the 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 institution of the Eucharist, and it's the very core and foundation of the source and summit of the Christian life, the Mass. So it's it's and it's through. The Eucharist that we participate in Christ's new covenant. So this is Christ instituting his new covenant, and it's the timing is actually very important because John's Gospel actually makes it very clear that this meal that Christ shares with his disciples is before the slaughter of the of the lambs in the temple. And it's uh, Jesus is is killed on on the, the the day of preparation, so it's before the the Passover meal. But this is a sort of Jesus is celebrating a sort of Passover meal with a difference, right? So it's done before the actual day of Passover. It's got changes. He's changed some of it, and all of these things that a first century Palestinian Jew are going to be really really sensitive to. And all of these things show that Christ is appropriating to himself the goods that the first Passover with Moses signifies. So this new covenant, this new Passover, to some extent, this new Passover, Christ's Passover, this new covenant is something which fulfills what was signified by the old passover this isn't just a passover from slavery in egypt into a new life it's a passover from slavery to sin uh into a new life uh, passing over from sin and death into a new life inaugurated by christ that we participate in through uh through the sacraments particularly through receiving the through, through receiving the eucharist And he gives you this command: take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body, uh, which is given for you. And we notice that there's no talk of a lamb, right? Because the lambs haven't been sacrificed yet. The lambs are sacrificed the the following day. But Christ, but there is a lamb present. There is a lamb present because Christ Himself is the lamb. This is why he says, "This is my body." Uh, You know, because you 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 would have consumed the lamb at the same time that you consume the bread. So, when he says, This is my body, you are receiving the Lamb of God, you are receiving the flesh of Christ. And then Christ is put to death the following day, where you have his sacrifice. And sacrifice is the shedding of the blood from the body, what we call exsanguination, the separating of the blood from the body. This is the sacrifice. And the fact that Christ says, you know, drink my blood, this is sacrificial language. So he's intending to institute this sacrificial meal. The Passover itself was a sacrificial meal, which I think is one of the reasons why he chooses the, the, the Passover as the context uh, for inaugurating his, his new covenant, his Eucharistic meal. And then you, what you see is, th- so then you might have a question sort of like, well, if he hasn't died yet, uh, in what sense is this the sacrificial meal well you know through God's power the uh, merits of Christ can be applied to the everything that went before
0: and I would say to our listeners if you want to read more or delve into that a little bit further uh, Scott Hahn has a book called the fourth cup um, and it's also a talk and Brant Petrie also has a book called the Jewish roots of the Eucharist so these are two books which refer to some of the things that you're you're mentioning there so if people wanted to delve in a little bit further i think we're gonna have to wrap up our episode i know you have a a lot on so thank you very much for joining us for this episode if you find it useful please share it with other people and have a a blessed three days a blessed tridium of the of the easter celebration (laughs) and god bless you all
1: god bless